We are on chapter 18 and where we ended last class was verse 54. But I'd like for us to just start there again, just build the right context, build that right bridge and also because it's really an amazing verse. One attains supreme devotion to me and can be absorbed in Brahman who is always inwardly calm, who never laments and is without desire and who beholds all beings with equal mind. Last class we talked about, you know, normally we think of devotion as this oh, love and oh, you know, Krishna, Krishna, you know, that naturally and that is a form of devotion. And that's why it's almost like he's separating because he says, one attains supreme devotion. You know, this is, a, this is a higher version of the devotion that we first have to build. And we build this devotion a little more outwardly, a little bit through form, a little bit through our practices, a little bit through chanting, through japa, through all the different ways that can bring and hold and keep Krishna, your guru, or the divine in any form kind of present in your mind. That's that love and devotion. Often we talk about devotion less from that outward show, but from that understanding of being devoted to. A mother is devoted to her child, which means she holds her child, no matter what she's doing, just somewhere uppermost in her mind. Has my child eaten? Has my child woken up? Oh, I want to go outside, but what about my child? So I need to make sure that he's fine or she's fine. So there's a devotedness. She doesn't go and sing the praises of her child all the time. She's not going and la 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 to her child. She may do that as well in moments of true devotion. But being devoted to is really the quality we are trying to kind of develop. But here's supreme devotion. And Krishna loves lists. He's like a list fellow. <laughs> He'll always list out multiple things. I mean, if you see some of these lists, they're like 20 items on, you know, one list. And here we've got four things. And of these four things, one is hard. Three, I mean, all are hard to a certain mm -hmm. degree. Three are attainable, which means we can actually do them. Let's see these four again. Inwardly calm. This is something we can do. I can inwardly become calm. I can train myself to start getting calmer, calmer, inwardly unruffled. Next, one who never laments. We talked about this. One who never complains. Ever. No complaint. Nothing's wrong. Nothing can possibly be wrong. Supreme devotion means I see Krishna everywhere. I see God everywhere. How can anything be wrong if he's everywhere? If he's in every atom, how can I have anything to complain about? Another thing we can work on, every time that need to complain comes, all right, no, I'm not going to do this. This is a little hard. Who is without desire? Because that's a little hard for us. We don't even know what that state would be like. If we think of without desire, then though I might as well be a, you know, just a vegetable doing nothing. So for now, let's, let's have, you know, let's work with the fact that we have desires and we'll get to a stage perhaps where we don't have desires. Well, that's there, we'll work on it. And then finally, who beholds all beings with equal mind. No likes and dislikes with people, no judgments, no criticisms, nobody's higher, nobody's lower. Again, because Krishna is everywhere, he is therefore in everyone and in everything. So these three things are qualities we should be thinking about if we're thinking about that 
supreme devotion, inwardly calm, never complains and beholds everybody with an equal mind. And as we do that, that desire part will also then naturally start working because we cannot be calm and if there's a restlessness of desire. We cannot stop complaining because if we don't get our desires, that's when we complain, you know. So, and of course, we can't behold people as the same as long as there are likes and dislikes in our hearts. I like this in this person, I dislike that in that person. So, all three will help us get to the state of being without desire. Then he goes on, by supreme devotion to me. Now, having attained this state, not after, you have to first really work on this state. Having or by supreme devotion to me, he can quickly realize me in my true nature. What and who I am. Knowing these truths, he can unhesitatingly enter into me. So even though Krishna and God and the Divine, we may read about them in all these things, we'll never truly know them. What and who I am. Only if we get into this state, will we start to understand what this drama is, what this state of consciousness is, what that Divine Reality truly is. Until that moment, everything's guesswork. Everything is second-hand information. But everything is just, you know, again, as we said in the beginning, words. We want to get beyond words. And this is the time, as we're coming to the very end, this is the time to be getting beyond words. Over, this one is my favorite of this chapter thus far. Over and above, the faithful performance of all one's duties and taking shelter completely in me, he must still be received by my grace. <laughs> it's not enough. Do all your duties faithfully, be completely absorbed in me, but still you have to be received by my grace. Even till that point, <laughs> you have not. Uh, if I don't say Aja, then <laughs> And there's a beauty there that's hard for us to fully fathom. The first reality here that we need to tune into is God is not a mathematical formula that we can achieve. You know, you can't just say, I'm doing my 16 different things that they, were, they told me to do. I'm doing all my duties faithfully and I'm thinking of God and I'm chanting as much as I'm supposed to be chanting and I'm looking at everyone and I'm seeing God in everyone and I'm, you know, that's not the point here. We can make every list here, we can check, check every list, but will we be received by His grace is an entirely different reality. There's a story that Yogananda would love to say and he titled the story, How the Bad Man, <laughs> you know, the bad man who was loved by God. And it's one of those, you know, Narad and Vishnu moments where Narad comes to Vishnu and says, who's, you know, I, I see this one devotee who's been so like steadfast and I think he's ready to attain you. And, Krish and Vishnu says, yeah, I don't know about that guy. There's this other guy, I think, who's ready to achieve me. And he's like, which other guy? And he points to another person and Narad looks at him and this guy's really simple and he's even a drunkard. 
you know, but, but he's drunk with God to a certain, he loves God like desperately, but he drinks and he's not, you know, he's not one, but this other ascetic is like, you know, he's been doing a lot of tapasya and he's been meditating for decades and he's been holding his mind perfectly still and all the things that we've both talked about, all the things that we recommend that all of us do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> do these do. things. This is your mathematical, you know, chart, isko follow karo. So this guy's like, on paper, on paper, he's perfect, he's ideal. And the other person is like, on paper, completely bekar. You know, just useless. I mean, it's like, uh, even Narad is like, confused. He's like, you know, usually I have a good idea about these things, but this guy doesn't, you know, it's like... So, as always, Narad is like, I am going to test this out. Which is lovely about Narad, isn't it? It's always a testing out whatever God is giving him as intuition. Let me go and test it out. And so he says, all right, let's see who is the better of the two. And Vishnu says, go to both of them and say, he tells him to say a certain thing. So he goes first to his candidate, you know, and this man is just like, oh, he's like not eaten anything for years and all that, you know, completely given up all his possessions, a true renunciate, perfect spine, heart open, you know, all the things. And he sees Narad coming and he gets really excited and he says, you know, it's like the messenger of God is here. That means God must be just around the corner. And he says, all right, finally, all my hard work has paid off. You know, where is God? And Narad says, he's, he's, he's coming, but he just has to put a million elephants through, you know, pass a million elephants through the eye of a needle. After he does that, he will come to you. And the man gets so angry, this yogi, and he's like, what nonsense is there? Who needs to put a million elephants through the eye of a needle? Maybe all of this is just a big farce. You know, what, I mean, what kind of an answer is this? Not that he's running the whole universe, so give him a little time. Not that he's with another devotee. No, he's passing a million elephants through the eye of a needle. It's like, you know, what, what is this? If somebody were to come to you and say, I have to pass it through some... You know, so he gets really upset and he's like, you know, maybe I've just wasted my entire life. Maybe there's nothing. And he's just disheartened and he says, let it be. Now, suddenly Narada is like, wow, this was my candidate. Tha. Now it's going to happen. He goes to the other guy and the other guy is a little tipsy and a little like, mm. oh, he's also very happy to see the messenger of God. And Narada again, he says, oh, is, is the divine, is God coming? And Narada says the same thing. Oh, he's just about to come, but he has to pass a million elephants through the eye of a needle. And the devotee gets just so happy. He's like, wow, he who can pass millions of universes through the eye of a needle in an instant for what for him what is a million elephants he must have finished already that means he's about to come and he just immediately opens himself to receive god and there vishnu appears so to be able to receive god's grace is a very key element here and how does one receive God's grace? The problem on the spiritual path often can be in the doing, we forget the fact that we're not the doers. I, I'm meditating and I'm energizing and I'm checking and I'm doing this and I'm the guy doing the japa and I am faithfully performing as he says. You have to over and above faithful performance of all one's duties. You know, faithful performance of all one's duties, 
assuming we figured out what our duties are, assuming we figured out how to faithfully perform it, which is, you know, very possible, and taking shelter completely in me. You're only thinking of me, you're performing all your duties, but still you need to be received by my grace. Because in the doing, as long as there's even a tiny bit of the egoic understanding, oh, oh, I'm almost there, oh, wow, you know, oh, look at these wonderful experiences I'm having in meditation, so on and so forth. You're going to understand, till that very last moment, you're not safe. Even if there's just a tiny little veil separating you and the, and the infinite, that separation nonetheless will exist. So we need to feel even as we're doing everything. Am I feeling God's grace? Am I feeling God's pleasure? Am I feeling God's joy? Because I can't just be a child. In everything, do I really feel joy in my heart when I faithfully perform my duties? Otherwise, everybody can faithfully perform their duties. Do I really feel joy in my heart after I've sat for a three-hour meditation? Or am I more concerned of how much my <laughs> knees are hurting at the end of it all? But I sat. You know? And so we need to now, now refine We've learned a lot of things we should be doing. Now we need to refine it and remember above and beyond everything that grace is still a key ingredient. Yogananda would tell us the spiritual path, especially for disciples, is 25% the disciples' effort, 25% the guru's effort on behalf of the disciple, and 50% God's grace. Half the game to Krishna ke hat nahi hai. Matla, he's actually given us very little to do. He, he, he doesn't trust us enough to say ki tu zada kar le. Tu 25% kar le, mein vaki niptata hon. Mentally devote your every action to me. See me as your supreme goal. Uplift toward me every discernment of your intellect. Thus, with love, Absorb all your heart's feelings in me. So now he's saying, how is this process going to look like? Devote every action to me. How does one devote every action to God? By making God the supreme goal. In everything, think about God is my goal. Alright, God is my goal while I'm brushing my teeth. And so I offer it to him. God is my goal when I'm eating my food. So as it goes in, let that be my offering to him. God is my goal when I'm going to work. Whatever I put out, however it benefits others, I hope it's a sufficient offering to the infinite. Uplift every discernment of your intellect. What should we do now? Which road should we take? What thoughts should we have? What should I say to this person? Everything your intellect reasons out, discerns about the world, Keep offering it up to God. Ab kya kare? Ab kya kare? Isme kya kare? Usme kya kare? Where should we go? What should we say? How should we think? How should we sit? Just keep offering it to Him as much as you can. And finally, of course, thus with love, absorb all your heart's feelings in me. With heart absorbed in me, you shall also, by my grace, overcome every impediment. If, however, with any lingering thought of ego, 
you do not fully heed me, you may even then be thrown down again to your destruction. <laughs> not as encouraging as we would like him to be. Destruction. Yeah, back to your destruction. <laughs> like you can be super close to me, you can get there almost, but if at that time, in fact, Yogananda said the greatest test is a test we've none of us have faced yet. And this is the test of having the experience of Sabi Kalpa Samadhi. If you remember, in some class we must have mentioned it. Sabi Kalpa Samadhi is when we, in our meditations, have an experience of complete unity with the universe, have an experience of omnipresent consciousness, have an experience of cosmic awakening where you realize that you are in fact God. Yogananda defines self-realization as you know the knowing in body, mind and soul that you are in possession of the kingdom of God, that his omnipresence is your omnipresence. And when that experience comes in meditation, but with Sabi Kalpa Samadhi, when we step out of meditation, that, med that experience it remains but it comes back, you come back into, okay, this is my ego. And you can go into that experience every time in meditation. But when we return to an egoic reality after that, the ego may believe, I am God. And he says, that's the most difficult test. Because at that time, the ego has experienced its true nature, but it's seeing it from its perspective rather than seeing it from infinity, having kind of embraced this one body, the body, the personality thinks it has embraced infinity. And that's what is called the spiritual ego, which we all have in little ways. You know, look at me, oh, I've renounced the world, or look at me, I didn't react to that issue. <laughs> you know, all those little things, all those tiny things that the ego is so smart and so subtle and it knows how to use our own spiritual understandings and terms and realities to burrow deeper into us. So a time will come. And what does Krishna say? If, however, with, a ling with any lingering thought of ego, you do not fully heed me. See, you can do a lot. But if you do not fully heed me, we have to get to the point where everything fully we're able to give. And most of us aren't ready. We want to hold a lot back. We want to give a lot to Krishna. We also want to hold a lot back. And the process will continue. We will then be thrown down again to our destruction. No big deal. <laughs> if indulging in your ego, you should determine, I will not fight. Now, this is coming back to the very beginning again. This was Arjuna. I don't want to fight. No, I want peace and I think everything's going to be better if I just don't fight. And if the whole Gita has been, essentially, the whole Gita has been Krishna almost convincing Arjuna why he needs to fight. I mean, that's the entire Gita. If indulging your ego, you should determine, I will not fight, you would have to fight anyway obliged to do so by nature, your own as well as cosmic. What does this mean? If indulging our ego, we say, I don't want to deal with this karma. I don't want to fulfill this duty. I just want to let everything go. If it's not ours really to do, 
if it's not our dharma to fulfill, no matter how many times you reject it, it will come back again and again until you actually fulfill it. You're never going to escape it, is what he's saying. Nothing that you resist, you push away, nothing that you hide from, nothing that you say, ye nahi mujhe karna hai, will ever go away. Compelled by nature, your own and cosmic, means cosmic is because there is karmic laws in place, compelled by prakriti itself, and compelled by the prakriti inside you. If you have rajas inside you, you're never going to run away from it. That rajas has to manifest. If you are a kshatriya that we talked about last time, what are the duties of the kshatriya that Krishna says? Valor, courage, standing firmly before the enemy. Who is our enemy? Our own ego, our own desires, our own thoughts, our own attachments, our own confusions. They are the enemy. And oftentimes, we don't want to look at them, we don't want to think of them, we don't want to deal with them. And so, from a Kshatriya, we start to <laughs> trickle back down the ladder. But the duty of a Kshatriya is eventually to be able to stand firm before the enemy. And that was Arjuna's reality at that moment. If he wants to ascend to the conscious state of the Brahman, of he who understands that all is Brahman, he has to pass through the state. He has to fulfill the duty of a Kshatriya. Again, we're not talking about outward duties here at all. We're talking about the inner duties that each of us have if our consciousness is to get more and more refined. So, what's important here really for us to tune into is let's not waste time by not embracing our karmas, our dharmas, that which is before us. The more you push them away, the more you resist them, the more they're just going to return back again and again. And Swami said something very interesting. He's like, every time you run away from a test, that test will return stronger. So if you want to build a stronger test or do you want to deal with it, even though it looks ugly now, even though it's hard now, deal with it now. It's like, you know, exam fail, re-exam And this time the professor has made the exam harder. Imagine if you have to do it again and again and now it's getting harder and harder and harder. Wouldn't have been better if we'd only just studied that one time. O son of Kunti, that momentary delusion. Oops, where am I? Oh yeah. The, that momentary delusion, the ripened fruit of a past karma, which has now made you reluctant to fight, will be snatched from you by another good karma. And you will find that you have no choice but to fight anyway. He says, and this is the play. The very karma, the very part of your nature, the very guna that is right now telling you, I don't want to fight. Another guna will come, another karma will come, another situation will come and you will be once again exactly where you are. And this will continue over and over and over. O Arjuna, the Lord is lodged in the hearts of all beings. His cosmic delusion compels them to revolve as though they'd been mounted on a machine. The universe is forever in motion in a very prescribed way. And who's prescribed this motion? Not God, you, me. 
I've put this energy into motion. I've spun the wheel in a certain way. And once I've spun the wheel, the wheel's going to spin. Now I can stop that wheel too. But boy, is that going to take energy? You know, move a wheel really fast and do you want to put your hand in there? But we've got to in order to change that direction. We're going to have to put that energy out. And Krishna is saying, nothing's going to happen until you do that. None of the supreme devotion, none of the this, none of the that. Because to fulfill your duty, as he said, this is the fulfillment of our duty. To return back to a state of complete neutrality from that divine infinite, which first manifested when that energy entered out into this world to relate to this world, karma began. That first outward flow of energy. And since then, it's only been building and building and building and building. Our job is to return back into that state of complete stillness once again. O Arjuna, make him alone with all eagerness of your heart, your refuge. By his grace you will attain the uttermost peace and find shelter for all eternity. I don't know if you see, there's a little shift here. Just for a moment. Otherwise, what has Krishna thus far been saying? Arjuna, make me alone with all eagerness of your heart, your refuge. By my grace. I mean, he's always been that way. No? He's been very personal. Come to me, think of me, worship me. And he'll, he'll return back to that flow. But interestingly, just suddenly in the middle for this one thing, he says, O oh, Arjuna, make him alone with all eagerness your heart, your refuge. And by his grace, you will attain the uttermost peace and find shelter for all eternity. And just for a moment, he becomes very impersonal. Krishna, and that's a very, also a state all of us will have to have a relationship with God in, in that really impersonal reality. We start with a personal relationship as we, that's why we build that with our Guru. You and you are mine and you are always mine and you are always there for me and, and isn't that so sweet? But even the Guru then at some point will say, Dekho, you know, look up, that's where you're going. Don't stop here, our Guru would say, don't stop here, keep going. But first get here, <laughs> then keep going by His grace alone. Thus has wisdom, the most secret and sacred of all secrets, been given to you by me. Reflect on it, then do as you feel to do. Isn't that the sweetest thing you've yeah. ever heard? Yeah. I, yeah, I give you everything. I'll explain to you everything. I'll go into the greatest excruciating details of how it all works and what all you need to do. Then you do as you feel to do. I mean, that's how much God respects us. If you don't respect someone, you don't give them that choice. You do as I tell you to do. I <laughs> Here Krishna is just, he's just gone on and on. He's taken all the pains to really just throw open the universe to Arjuna, shown him every possible way 
to overcome the doubts and the confusions and the fears and the limitations that he's experiencing. And then finally, at the end of it all, all he says, reflect on it, then do as you feel to do. Why? Because we won't do anything else anyway. <laughs> the end of it, we will only do. Remember we talked about when we were the last class about the gunas and that. We'll only do that which we are capable of doing and that which we really sincerely want to do. We really sincerely want to relate to this world, therefore we relate to this world. We are not yet really sincerely ready to have the experience of the infinite. We're just not. And therefore Krishna, after all of it, says, that's all right too. Reflect on what I have shared with you, but then do what you feel to do, because that's what you're going to do anyway. <laughs> so I don't want you to feel at the end of it all, ki, oh no. It was my fault. <laughs> yeah, it's like all guilt and, oh, you know, Krishna ne kya bolu? You know, because the Guru is always telling us what to do, but how many of us actually truly follow what he says? Yogananda, you know, almost lowering the bar for us like so low. <laughs> He said, of all that I have given you, if you practice just one one hundredth, which is one percent. If you practice faithfully just one percent of everything I have given you, you will attain freedom. One percent. In they know They won't make it. Let's give them hundred choices and then say to just pick one from this. But pick one by lo. So you first they say 25% karo, then Yogananda chupke se he's saying ki, you know, yeah, 1% you just do it. <laughs> Forget that 25%, you do that 1%. 1% may put your 25%, so kitna kam ho gaya? It means hardly anything. But for us, that's everything. That's more than we can even handle. I mean, Krishna is saying, be inwardly calm. Sunne mein to we say, oh, bas, it nahi. But we can't be inwardly calm. We are forever restless. We are forever looking for the next thing. Can't sit still for a moment. So do as you feel to do. Because that's alright. I don't mind. You want to take an eternity? Take an eternity. You don't want to fight? Don't fight. Krishna already knows. You don't want to fight right now? Okay, you'll have to fight tomorrow. You don't want to fight tomorrow? Okay, you'll have to fight day after tomorrow. Because you're on this machine, on this circular motion that you yourself have put into flow. So, I don't even need to do anything. Krishna is saying, Mera to koi nahi hai isme. Again, hear now my supreme word. The most secret and sacred of all. <laughs> He's like really like saying, you're secret. Eh? Because you are dearly beloved by me, I offer it now for your highest benefit. It's sweet when you read this and you think Krishna is talking to me, you know, because you are dearly beloved by me. He's not talking to Arjuna here, he's talking to us. Absorb yourself in me by wholly, be wholly devoted to me. Worship and bow to me alone. So shall you undoubtedly reach me. This I promise you faithfully, for you are dear to me. Krishna makes a promise here. Towards the very end, he's now saying, this I will promise you. If you do what I say, you will attain me, I will be there. 
you will have the experience that I'm telling you about. This is my promise. So when Krishna makes a promise to us, it's something we need to really pay attention to. It's not the promises we've made. You know, Narayani, I will love you always. You know, those promises don't much work. Because our love is all over, scattered, you know, spread out. How much of it we give it to people that we truly love is all of us know. But when Krishna makes a promise, Krishna intends to fulfill that promise. This I promise you faithfully. How loving is that? I faithfully promise you. I put my faith into you by giving you this promise. For you are dear to me. This is the love. You know, now Krishna is really, he knows he's coming to the end. He knows he's, he's given jnana and he's given all this stuff. But now he knows that you know, of this conversation. After this, Arjuna has to return back to the battle. And so he's just now finally giving that really sweet, I'm yours, you are mine, just don't worry. Do as you feel to do. Even here I will not push you in anything. But I promise you that if you do what I say, if you absorb yourself in me, if you are wholly devoted to me, you shall undoubtedly reach me. Forsaking all other dharmas. And now he comes to another point here. Forsaking all other dharmas and duties. Remember me alone. I will free you from all sin. Even from that of not fulfilling other lesser dharmas. Do not grieve. It's a good place to take a pause. Which will leave us with seven, eight more verses. Up till now, he's been very particular and adamant, isn't it? Find your dharma, you have to do your dharma, your dharma is in accordance to where the gunas are and then as per the gunas is where your consciousness is going to be on that scale of, you know, the Kshatriya Brahmin, Shudra and Vaishya. And whatever that is, you are bound by it, you're compelled by it, that is your prakriti, that's how the whole universe will express through you. And now at the end he's saying, the highest dharma is even if you are, you know, at the lowest of the lowest scales and your dharma is to do the absolute, you know, just keep thoda sa energy dalo. Even in that, if you only think of me, if you truly make me your dharma, I will forgive all lesser dharmas. Everything. What does that mean for us? It means Krishna is giving us a way out. Just now he said, you are bound, you are caught, doesn't matter, tum bas ghumte hi we'll pay. Because karma is what it is, you've put it into motion. Now he's saying, this also I will, isko bhi maaf kar dunga. This also I will leave. I'll take your karmas also, but you really, really have to make me your dharma. And that is why so many of us are drawn to the spiritual path. Not because we finished all our karma. We still have a lot of karma to work. But because a part of our hearts just know that I could be doing this forever and this wheel's going to keep turning no matter what I do. You know, I can perfectly do this. I can attain all the money. I can attain all the fame. I can attain the ideal relationships. I can, you know, get the right body, the right height, the right muscles, the right looks, the, you know, get the right age, the right nationality. I can get it all and the wheel will just not stop turning. 
And that's what our hearts are longing for. We're tired of this wheel. As Yogananda put it, anguishing monotony sets in. And we just can't take it anymore. And Krishna says, I'll allow you to step off. But we don't get to step off as an excuse or as a shortcut. Yesterday, Narayani and I were doing a class with some of the kind of more established disciples and devotees. And we're talking about will. And we're saying how we're willing to, we put out so much will to relate to the world, but when it comes to God, when it comes to spiritual things, we feel that And that's just how we think. We think the world should take a lot of our energy and the world should demand a lot of our will. But when it comes to God, now I can lower my will and put out less. That's, you know, that's the mentality that doesn't allow us to experience these great states because we don't realize, I want to put out more will here, less will here. More energy here, less energy here. And until that shift doesn't actually manifest in our hearts, uh, the wheel will keep turning, the journey will continue and Krishna in all his love says, that's all right too. At the end of it, do as you feel to do. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it's just so sweet. Um, anyway, I was thinking about uh, specifically this stanza, I think it's 57, where Krishna is saying to Arjuna, mentally devote all your actions, all your thoughts, everything to me. And even though we have heard that, yes, God is the doer and Nishkan Karma and everything, we should be doing it with the thought of God doing it through us, it's not easy. We can do it uh, once, but then five seconds later, we are totally forgotten that is God and is us doing it. So I was thinking that Yogananda said that when he first came to his guru's ashram when he was a young boy, he put his mind and his gaze at the spiritual life for as much as he could. And, and he made of this a very conscious practice. And he spent many years doing that, uplifting his mind, his gaze, and just concentrated all the energy here. And in fact, later on, Yogananda advised to all his disciples, he said, if you want to make a very rapid spiritual progress, keep your awareness, your concentration, your energy always focused here at the Agya Chakra. And I was thinking this could be a very good practice for us to do throughout this week. Are we able to perform all our activities, all our interactions, uh, everything, absolutely everything, with our concentration and our awareness at the point between the eyebrows. And I think this would be a very fun thing to explore. Swami Kriyananda, talking about this practice, he very strongly said, but you cannot just practice this only with willpower. This practice has to be combined with the heart's 
feelings. Otherwise, if you only apply your will, one can become ruthless in the process. Like that story, you know, that Shurja was sharing about these two guys, you know, the yogi there using all his power, but his heart wasn't open. He was only, you know, living through his life through willpower. So perhaps uh, this could be a good experiment for us from today onwards. Even when you are talking to people, try to relate from your point between the eyebrows to theirs, from your highest self to theirs, from this joy, this point of joy where Krishna lives to, you know, everyone else's spiritual eye. When you joke, when you eat, try to keep your awareness while eating, while enjoying that taste, that food. Your mind, your gaze, always at the point between the eyebrows. When you are chanting, meditating, performing your duties, having a phone call, I mean, anything, keep your gaze uplifted for as long as you can. So this is going to be the challenge for this week. Let's all support one another and to remind uh, each other where each one of us should live and where we can above all find Krishna, blend with Krishna, which is at the point between the eyebrows. Well, this is going to be hard. <laughs> How many but, times have we tried it and, and failed miserably? That's what we are not giving up no, on we this. Haven't. <laughs> I, I'm thinking I'm going to like borrow one of your bindis and put it on mine. So I, like, yeah, the bindis also fall off. So. <laughs> I have tried that as well. Master would also say sometimes, you know, it's like, Pinch, pinch yourself yeah, here until it hurts true, a little yeah. bit so that, that even that hurt <laughs> will remind you to put an ice cube there, no, to keep that sensation in this area stimulated for longer. Maybe all of us in the ashram we should it like draw good. something here. So when I see at Rajesh is drawing us, oh yeah, I have to remember. When I, yeah. And he can remind be reminded by ours. Yes. All right, like 